0: Hey friend, this is Rebecca Schroeder, CDH mom and executive director of the CDH Foundation. Welcome to Real Talk CDH. On this podcast, we share stories, ask tough questions, and we get real with all things related to congenital diaphragmatic hernia. This is a place to come as you are with all of your worries, your curiosities, your sadness, and your joy to be real with your feelings, and to leave encouraged as you learn you are not alone. Thanks for joining. Let's get started. Welcome, friends, to Real Talk CDH. I'm your host, Rebecca Schroeder. Well, because February is heart month, we thought it would be a great time to talk about ECMO. That's extracorporeal membrane oxygenation. I've heard it said that ECMO is the thing you hate but are eternally grateful for when your child needs it. I know in my daughter's case, this proved true. Well, tonight we're going to hear stories of two extreme ECMO cases told by two strong advocate mamas about their rock star CDH survivors. So join me in welcoming Taylor Malone and Angie Morris. Ladies, let's start out by just doing a little introduction. Um, Can you just introduce yourself and share your story with us? Angie, let's hear about you
1: and Izzy. All right. Hi, everyone. Um, So I am Angie, Izzy's mom. Izzy was born five weeks premature with two heart defects and CDH. Um, She was diagnosed with left-sided CDH around our 20-week ultrasound. And at the time, they also suspected that she possibly would have cardiac defects. We pretty quickly decided that given all of that, we wanted to try to take her to one of the top CDH centers to make sure that we were giving her all of you know, the best chances of survival. And so we ended up, we're from Ohio and we ended up at John Hopkins All Children's Hospital in St. Pete with Dr. Kays. When I met him, I just had this feeling that he was gonna be the person that was gonna save my child. And I've forever been thankful for kind of the decision how our journey ended up playing out. Izzy's heart, main heart defect is coarctation of the aorta. And it's not a defect that's typically paired with CDH. In fact, I think at the time, they'd only seen one or two cases ever with CDH. And Dr. K is, I think at this point has treated well over 500 CDH keto. So it's just not a, a big pairing. And because the heart is often kind of hard to see with CDH with everything in the chest, it is hard to tell, especially with a co arc hard to tell in utero if that defect in particular, you know, is actually taking place. So they had a hard time um, really confirming if that was going on. And so really um, with just CDH, her stats didn't look horrible, and we initially were given like a 90 to 95 percent chance of survival, two to three month NICU stay. So we really didn't have any indication on kind of how things would would play out ultimately. So after she was born, they did confirm the cardiac defects, and so she has, as I mentioned, a correction of the aorta was the main one, and also a bicuspid aortic valve, kind of secondarily going on. And so when she was about 24 hours old, she was placed on ECMO and the cardiac element was definitely kind of complicating things a little bit. Um, She had her CDH repair when she was nine days old and then in the next two to three weeks, we tried to get her off ECMO twice. So we trialed her off twice, both times she failed. And that was, I remember really just scary touch and go time, just not knowing what that was going to mean and and you know what how things would play out. And so around the time of her second failed trial off, when she was around five weeks old, the team had decided if we didn't repair her cardiac defect, that they didn't think she was going to be able to come off ECMO. And so Um, All along, the plan had been, we would try to manage the heart situation later when she was stable, when she was off ECMO. And it just, you know, unfortunately, our our hand was forced a bit. So she ended up having open heart surgery when she was six weeks old, one week adjusted. The surgery itself had went well. And then post-op, she really became unstable. And so I remember they wouldn't let us see her because she wasn't really in a a good spot. And then the surgeon came and talked to us and said something was going on. And he felt like he had to open her back up and kind of see what was happening. And so it turns out she was still bleeding. Obviously, when you're on ECMO, that kind of complicates open heart surgery just in general is, is not a great situation. And then the bleeding risks and other things that ECMO kind of complicates made that a bit difficult. So she ended up having like cardiac tamponade during that second time opening her up. And so they ended up leaving her sternum open. So she had a delayed sternum closure. So her surgery was on a Friday morning. Initially, they went back in Friday night and her chest was left open until Monday and they closed her back up Monday. So that was a really scary kind of... Touch and go situation in our journey, and then everyone had hope after her open heart and you know the coarctation um, being repaired that we would be able to you know kind of get her stable, hopefully get her off ECMO shortly thereafter. And unfortunately, that's really not how it played out. She got extremely puffy, just wasn't super stable. Her ECMO flows, you know, were higher than ever and just was not showing any kind of indications of like rotiness to come off. And so I remember, I think maybe around day 75 on ECMO, the team talked to me. And at that point we talked about kind of how she was doing and they shared a fact that I didn't realize up until that point that their longest ECMO survivor up to then was 45 days, that they had had people, babies on longer, but sadly didn't survive past that 40-day, or excuse me, 45-day window. And so obviously- As a parent, that was very traumatizing to hear because we just didn't know what was going to happen. Ultimately, Izzy came off ECMO for the final time at 91 days exactly. She was on for 13 weeks. And I'm not the most superstitious person, but she was placed on ECMO on December 13th, Friday the 13th. And she came off on March 13th, Friday the 13th. And she came off successfully. And frankly, she doubled the past, you know, longest surviving record. And to, you know, what I know, I think she's still the longest ECMO survivor at John Hopkins All Children's and that Dr. Case has had. And so that was amazing because truly, I don't think anybody knew how it was all going to play out. And from there, we kind of started the normal CDH course to to kind of get her body or get her home. And so she had her like Nissen G2 placed at four and a half months, but kind of long story short. We finally got discharged from the hospital when she was eight and a half months old at 271 days, and she left with oxygen and a feeding tube. And so definitely long traumatic journey, but was all worth the ultimate kind of outcome. And now today she is four years old, time flies, and She started off, you know, extremely medically complex. At one point, we were on 13 different meds six times a day. She was on oxygen for years, as it turns out. But today, at four years old, she is on zero medications. She medically is doing amazing. We've been released to one time a year for our specialists. We've been released from many of them and truly just see the CDH clinic and cardiology at this point. So it's been a long road, but it was worth every step of the way, every second. And we would do it a million times over to be where we are today and just are excited to see how she
2: continues to grow and thrive. Wow.
0: Amazing, Izzy. I love it. What a story.
2: Hi, guys. I'm Taylor, and my son is Christian. Christian was diagnosed with um, a heart defect and CDH at 25 weeks in utero, and was given little to no hope at the hospital back at home in New York. So with that being said, we did a little research and found a doctor, Dr. Kays at John Hopkins All Children's. And we kind of talked to a couple of parents that also have gone to Dr. Kays and got their perspective as well as some parents from other hospitals that were closer to home that felt like mm, maybe we should go there because, you know, we'll be closer to family. But while talking to the families, I kind of, you know, was more leaning towards Dr. Hayes and then when I had that official meeting with Dr. Hayes and his team, I knew right away. I just remember how confident he was and what his skills were about and just like how he ran his program. I just knew at that moment that that's where we needed to be. And while we were meeting him at the hospital, he had given us a 50% chance of ECMO with an 85% chance of surviving. So at 34 weeks, I relocated down to Florida from New York. At 37 weeks, I had Christian, who naturally (laughs) was not good at birth. I remember Dr. Case coming to my head and telling me, I didn't get your written consent for ECMO, but I need your verbal consent because your son isn't doing well at all. And I just remember so vividly telling him, you can do whatever you need to do to keep my son alive. You have my consent. So when he was brought up to the unit, he was placed on ECMO at four hours old. He had, when Christian was born, we found that he was born with two ventricular septal defects, which one was closed with surgery and the other one they left open because it was small enough to heal on its own. Christian, he did have the left-sided CDH, so it pushed his heart all the way to the right. So we didn't really get a good picture of when he was in utero, what the heart was, what was really going on in his heart. He was placed on ECMO at four hours old, and he was on for seven weeks. I remember times when Case tried to take him off. He clamped the circuit, but when he did clamp the circuit, they did a blood gas after, and Christian's numbers weren't stable enough to truly come off. So he reassured me that it's okay that this happens all the time. And he said, let's just give it a few more days and we'll go from there. So a few more days passed by, waiting and waiting, waiting. Finally, we're able to take him off at seven weeks. And it was like right before Christmas. So that was kind of like the best Christmas present that a girl could ever have. And throughout our journey, Christian has had several surgeries. He had two airway surgeries, bowel obstructions and other little minor surgeries. Finally, after about nine months of the hospitalization, we were able to go back home to New York, which was scary, but amazing. He was home and he was sick on and off with viruses. So that was in and out of the hospital. Come February 1st of 2023, he was hospitalized back in New York at a new hospital who then placed a tracheostomy due to his airway being narrow. And a couple days after they placed his trach, Christian started coding multiple times. They were ready to let christian go but when i reached out to dr case he said get christian on ecmo he reached out to the doctors and because he was so sick they placed him back onto ecmo centrally directly into his heart because i thought that that was the safest way to transfer christian back down to florida successfully with no issues arising while in air so when they placed him back on ecmo they came up on april 1st to get christian and brought him back down to florida and that's when they kind of found the answers as to why christian continued to code in new york and he was then diagnosed with severe pulmonary hypertension we started with one medication which then led to two which then led to three which they considered triple therapy and after we started that last medication he started to get better like daily and thankfully and surprisingly he was taken off ecmo at six and a half weeks which was really shocking to many many people because we didn't think that he was going to come out of this but he did he showed us how strong he was and how hard he fought to be here after another 10 month hospitalization we finally are home we moved to Florida officially, no more New York. He still has his tracheostomy, and it's still kind of a learning curve for us, and it's a big drastic change for us at home. But we're home. He's alive, and most importantly, he's so happy and not sleepy at all. Right? <laughs> no, he. I had to put on a movie <laughs> for him because he was in there pulling out a strike. So he's uh, <laughs> at ten thirty at night watching Cars. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. He's partying as he should, enjoying that life he fought so hard yes. for. That's lovely. That's wonderful. What amazing stories you both have. Thank you for sharing. I wanted to share also a little bit about my journey with Lily, just because it's a little, it's kind of, I feel like it's the medium between the two of you guys. Um, and I went to a different hospital. I was in Chicago at the time. So my daughter, Lily, is uh, five years old. And she was placed on ECMO at eight days old. And so we thought that she wasn't going to need ECMO because she was doing so well. Uh, And then just, she had her surgery and then something happened and just went downhill and I feel like that's the story that everybody gets and it's just you know things were going great and then um, so she actually spent 11 days on ECMO Um, we were in Chicago and she was treated at Lurie Children's Hospital and I love so much that you said about finding the hospital that just when you found it you knew that that's where you needed to be both of you I believe said that just like I had there's no question here this is where I know my child needs to be. Um, and I feel like uh, I felt the, the exact same way. And there's so much that goes into choosing a hospital. And I feel like your comfortability is one of the biggest things as well as their experience, of course, with uh, CDH and access to an experience with and There's not much you can control in this journey, but where you, where you have your child is, is one of the biggest ones. So, I'm just, I'm thankful that both Christian and Izzy are doing so well. What a journey you guys have had. And I know you guys had very, very extreme cases, Angela, with 91 days with Izzy and then Christian having ECMO twice. I want to ask about you and how you guys handled their being placed on ECMO. What what do you remember most about that time?
1: Yeah. I will jump in. For me, the scariest part about ECMO was, was she going to be able to come off? Um, She Mm -hmm. failed the two trial offs that we did. The first one was really traumatic. She had to be bagged as we had her put back on. And so just having this feeling like also with that cardiac defect that the odds were stacked against her and just that feeling of unknown and feeling helpless to do anything to help her get better was one of the biggest challenges for me because knowing like that was the highest level of support. There was no that was it. So Mm -hmm. there wasn't anything else to go to after ECMO.
2: Um and kind of like what Angie was saying, um I kind of agree with what she was saying. But I think one of the the most scariest parts of my son going on ECMO for me was just facing the fact that he was that sick and needed such Mm drastic measure of medicine that nobody should ever have to go through let alone a newborn and then like not truly knowing what that outcome was going to be and I always tell everybody like yeah it's scary but what's like even more scary is like the unknown like you just don't know kind of like what Angie was saying like you don't know what's going to happen and you know you, you just don't know like things malfunction and blood clots can get loose and you just you know and that can be it and I think that's that's probably the scariest part and I thought once he got upstairs he initially wasn't put right on ACMA we had gone four hours without it and I'm like okay maybe maybe it's not as bad as he thought but then that fourth hour came and he was placed on it so it was definitely really scary
0: yeah so much of this journey, I feel like, is trusting your medical team, you trust your doctors, you trust where you have chosen to have your child, you know what I mean? You've made the best decision, and at that point, that's that's all you can do, and just trust that this is this is the right thing, for sure. What do you guys think helped you the most during this difficult time?
1: So I feel for me... I refuse to believe or accept that Izzy wouldn't get better. So I try to just in my life have a positive outlook as much as I can in everything and kind of how I view the world. So I did not let negativity creep in to the best of my ability. And let me say that was not not always easy. I definitely had the days where I had to... You know, I, I did break down where I was terrified. I had the chaplain would come in and pray over Izzy, with Izzy, with me all the time. But I refuse like the internal dialogue I had in myself, like I refused to believe that she wouldn't get better. For me, it wasn't of, you know, if, it was when. So I just kept, that's what kept me going on. She's going to get through this. We're going to make it through and we're going to be home and it's going to be all worth it.
2: And for me, which one, I want to thank you, Angie, because I remember calling you when Christian was on ECMO the second time and you did, you gave me one of the most positive reassurance that I needed. And I will never forget that. And you talked me through some of my scariest times and I do, I really appreciate that. But for me, the first time when Christian was placed on ECMO, kind of knowing that I had full trust for the team that I had chosen to go with to take care of Christian. I was confident with them, somewhat comfortable. The doctors, the nurses, the RTs, the nurse practitioners, and even the janitors, they were all just so kind and answering any questions that I had, whether it had been questions that I kind of just reworded that, You know, really was just the same question over and over again. And they just answered any question that, and they explained things and really helpful when they explained what was happening, why it could be happening, and basically telling me that, you know, we're going to figure this out.
1: Thank you for saying that, by the way, that like I'm so glad that I was able to help in just a small way in your journey. And you're truly amazing. And so is your son. And I just can't wait to see him continue to thrive. Thank you.
0: I love our community. That was actually going to be what I was going to say helped me the most was just in general having a good community around you, whether that's, you know, through social media, whether that's through your church, your book club, your whatever it is, um, your best friend, your family, whoever, just having someone there that you can talk to. I know the day that Lily was being trialed off of ECMO was my birthday. And I, you know, of course, I don't even think I realized what day it was. And one of my really good friends wanted to take me out to lunch. And honestly, that's what I needed. I needed to get out of the hospital because I was pacing a hole in the floor and just was just terrified out of my mind. And basically her, even her surgeon was like, just go for a little bit. And, you know, we went, you know, just downstairs and in the cafeteria and got some lunch and it was It was wonderful. And just for a moment, I got to focus on something else. And that was really helpful
2: for me too. The community. Yeah. And definitely like the CDH community. I feel like unless you're part of it, you really truly don't know how amazing and appreciative we all are of each other.
0: Absolutely. Nobody really knows what this journey entails you know some people might have had a child that was born premature and you know they might have other medical diagnoses but th- you know again this is a very unique journey and it's just finding someone that you can connect with is just worth its weight in gold and i know it's it's super helpful it was for me as well but lastly what i wanted to ask was what encouragement or advice would you give to parents who have recently been diagnosed and maybe they were told ECMO might be in their child's future? What, what bit of advice or encouragement or both would you have for them?
1: So I would say that Number one, make sure that if at all possible, and I realize not everybody can relocate for care, everybody's situation is different. But if you minimally don't live near a hospital that has ECMO, if at all possible, make sure that you're at a hospital that has ECMO. And then I think secondarily, you want to have a team that has the skills to manage ECMO successfully, but then also Mm -hmm. that's going to listen and work with you. So in 91 days, Izzy never had a brain bleed. She had seven different circuits during ECMO. I mean, so just that in itself to me is truly amazing. And it's the skill and technique of the team and we had the trust and they listened and and worked with us. And I truly think, I mean, that made all of the difference. But the other thing, and, you know, as we're talking about community is this kind of um, went through my head, I struggled. I love the CDH community and it's amazing. But during our time with the long ECMO run, I struggled to find other stories of hope for long ECMO runs. I just, there wasn't a lot out there. I found one family, um, the Casey family that I love and will hopefully always be um, dear friends of ours. But um, I learned the story of Tilly and her amazing journey. And kind of, it it means so much when you have a family that shares their story and it gives you hope and that keeps you going. And so their story really, really helped us so much. But I think the the bottom line is, the narrative is constantly changing on what survival can look like. So I feel like family should not give up hope. It really takes one situation to completely change what's possible. Um, with Izzy's story, I mean, 45 to 91 days, it literally changed the whole landscape of like CDH, ECMO and long runs there. And I know there's been many babies that have been run for long-term runs after that. And so not that I want to see a baby on for months and months and months, but if that's what they need, I think the you know, the bar continues to be raised on survival rates and every kid is different and the needs are different.
2: I had for my advice, find a team that you're comfortable with and that you feel like you can trust without second question, ask questions about whether they're not whether or not if they have the option for ECMO because like Angie said not every hospital has the ECMO circuits to provide and also be your child's biggest advocate be your child's voice voice all your concerns ask any questions you want because your child can't anyways just be your child's biggest advocate like I said voice all your concerns ask whatever questions and if you don't understand it have them try to explain it into a better way that you can understand also if you don't feel that something is right trust your gut and speak up because I've done that many many times and every single time I've been right and also talk to your team you know well before you have your child and just ask them about like ask them about their story how many CDH patients they've worked with and what is their success rate, and you know have them tell you little bit about them and then if you want a second opinion do all that but find definitely find a hospital that you're 100% comfortable with
0: absolutely I love so much that you all shared the importance of being comfortable with your hospital choice being comfortable with your doctors making sure that they are the right team for you doing the research, asking the questions, and knowing that you are your child's biggest advocate, don't discount the bond that you have with your child, no matter their age. It's whether you're still pregnant, whether you your child is currently in the NICU, no matter where you are in the journey, you have a connection with your child that no one else on earth does. And you know, the doctors know the medical side of things, but you know your baby. So make sure you understand that too, I think is what I would, I would share, but also just to remember that there is always reason to help ECMO. Like I said earlier, is the one thing that you never want your child to be on, but you are very, very thankful when they do need it, that it's there and it's available to you. And it 100% saved my daughter's life. I know it saved Christians and I know it saved Izzy's as well. And it's. It's scary, but it can be life saving. So I hope that no matter what um, else you've gotten from this podcast this evening, that that you leave knowing that there is always reason to hope. Well, thanks again, Taylor and Angie, for coming on for sharing your amazing stories. I know I have been blessed to hear them, and I am blessed to know both of you and to have gotten to experience the cdh journey with you both i know it's blessed me and i know that it will certainly bless and encourage others and as i said earlier whether you've just been diagnosed whether your child's in the nicu currently or maybe your child is on ecmo right now when you're listening to this wherever you are in your cdh journey i hope this episode has given you hope remember that you are loved you are seen and you are not alone until next time friends I hope you enjoyed this episode of Real Talk CDH. Thank you so much for joining. I hope you feel seen, appreciated, and loved. If you have questions, or if you would like more information about congenital diaphragmatic hernia, please visit the CDHFoundation.org. Until next time, friends.